Welcome to the More to Story podcast. I am glad that you are here. And I'm excited by this show. It is one of the most distinct shows, unique, fun shows I think we're going to have in a long time. So I'm excited to introduce our guest to you in just a second. But before I do that, I want to make sure you know about a few things. First of all, this podcast comes to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are training trusted leaders for faithful churches. And that happens through a variety of programs, through an undergraduate, graduate degrees, and doctor of ministry program. Just in the month of September, we are starting our Wesley Institute, which is a lay initiative, which is nine months of in-depth teaching in uh, two tracks. One is in the Bible and one is in theology. We walk through every book of the Bible and major theological topics with uh, seminary professors working through this. We would love for you to invest in this. This is a great, important program called the Wesley Institute. And you can find out more about that at our website at wbs.edu. And also, I'm thankful for Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner who sponsors this podcast. You can find out more about him and his ministry, the way God has like led him to serve people by thinking about their retirements and planning for that well. You can find him at williamhroberts.com, and you can find a link for that in my show notes. And finally, the last thing I want to make sure people know is that my study of Jude called Contender is out. And as people are getting ready for like fall Bible studies, maybe your small group has come back together for this season after the summer. This is a six-session uh, series on the book of Jude, those 25 verses, and it has over five hours of content, discussion guides. It's just like set up for your small group or your Sunday school class. I'd love for you to check that out. So you can go to my website at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. So here we are. Today's show, I am so glad to welcome into the podcast my friend. We went to seminary together, Jesse Joyner. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. It's so good to be here. Well, it's good to see you again. I don't know if we've seen each other since we were in Wilmore, Kentucky, but uh, I've, I've seen you online. And mm -hmm. here's part of why I've seen you online. It's my daughter this summer went to summer camp and Jesse is a variety performer as a part of his ministry and calling. He is a juggler and amongst other things that he does as well. But he's no just average juggler who's just going around as a variety performer. He's a juggler, juggler scholar as he just completed his PhD in the last year or so, looking at the vocational direction that people have as variety performers. So Jesse, this is a high honor. And on top of that, he's also an adjunct professor at Ascent Seminary. So he teaches um, on youth discipleship and New Testament courses there. So Jesse, man, it is really a treat to have. You've done a lot since we last saw each other. I have, and you as well, yeah. It's it's exciting to to see your face again. You age well, like you you look very similar to you the way you did 20 years ago. <laughs> well, the, the gray hair in my beard doesn't make me feel that way, but there you go. <laughs> you too, you too, Jesse. Yeah, thank so, you. I, I'm interested. I, now, I knew, like, I remember being in seminary, and I remember seeing you juggle there, and I knew you were serving in youth ministry yeah. at a vineyard church, I think. That That's was, right. And mm -hmm. I remember knowing that that was your passion, and there were things about your life that stood out to me. Like, you were one of the first people I saw, like, even in seminary, practicing the Sabbath. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, was, I always knew there was something distinct about you. But tell me, did, did you immediately after seminary go into juggling or a variety performing? I did. And it's funny just hearing you kind of talk about that historical trajectory of my life. Yeah. It, it was something I was, I was interested in juggling that is as early as middle school. Like I was, okay. I learned to do it as an 11 year old when my friend could do it. So I wanted to learn what my friend could do and, uh, and it stuck and I practiced and I got better. And it, it was one of those hobbies that just grew and grew and grew because I was so fascinated by juggling in particular. And, and I eventually learned how to perform it and, uh, and I didn't know that 20, 30 years into the future of my life, I was still going to be doing it. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, it, that just happened to be the path that the Lord took me down, that not much has changed <laughs> in, in terms of, <laughs> of uh, the things that I am, that I enjoy and that I'm passionate about ever since I was 11, 12 years old. And, and for that, I'm very grateful. Um, yeah. But, but yes, that has, that has been the main thing. I've been doing since coming right out of seminary back with you back in 07. I graduated from Asbury in 07. Yeah. And I was, I was at one of those, that's a, that's a crossroads point for a lot of seminary sure. graduates. You know, you graduate and you figure, well, I followed this because I felt called to ministry and, 
and you that now it's like what what do I do with this where do I go next and so I was at that crossroads like many others and I I applied to a few churches to maybe work on staff at a church and I I was uh, interviewing with a church in Cairo, Egypt, and wow. uh, rural Illinois. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> you know, it, because I was interested in children's ministry. So a lot of churches then and now are still looking. They're they're always looking for children's ministers. It's a yeah. it's a big need out there. Um, so so I, I considered that path, but I also had this door open where I had met someone at a children's ministry conference who uh, who basically. Um, you know, books entertainers at uh, Christian outreach events, and okay. it's, it's an organization called For His Kids, okay. and and they they have a roster of of entertainers who are Christians who uh, many of us have a uh, some sort of a, a message or uh, an evangelistic you know bent to the, yes. the content of our uh, entertaining. So you have magicians and jugglers and clowns, whatever, doing an doing an act, but at the same time, it's probably maybe at an evangelistic event, uh, the, the act is, is done in a way that, that tells the story of the gospel or tells a story from the Bible. Um, doesn't have to be, you know, I don't, I don't think good, good art or good performing has to have a particular biblical message explicitly. And, and that's, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, sure. I'm interested. Um, but, but that, that ends up, that there's a lot of events that, that is their focus. And, and I had put together by that time in my life, a, uh, a program of a juggling show that, that kind of walked through the story of the gospel using the juggling as object lessons and object illustrations and found out that a lot of people, a lot, a lot of churches were very interested in, in seeing what that was in, um, you know, you, using it as an opportunity to reach out to their community. So yeah, all that to say that when I met for his kids at this conference, that was another door that I was praying about. Like, is this, is this, a, you know, an avenue I want to follow? And by the time I graduated, I, I felt the Lord leading me in that direction. And so I said, I, it, and it was a leap of faith because you say, well, okay, I want to take this, this path of being a, sure. uh, someone who entertains at events for, for, you know, one-time events. You're at, essentially you're kind of like you're, you're self-employed there's no guarantees there's no you're not employed by anyone uh it's it's more of a independent thing and you have to do your everything is on faith that it's all going to work out so yeah. i took that leap of faith i felt like god was leading me in that direction and they sent me to a church in florida and i some vacation bible school i think in the summer and i and i i did some messages for the kids and i did my juggling act and it was I think well received and I enjoyed it. And that was that, that event was the beginning of my relationship with for his kids. Um, like, like, I guess, I guess the, the feedback from that church was, um, you know, this guy's not a terrible juggler. <laughs> so, so they, um, so they kept booking me at other events and, and it, it just grew where I started, I started being able to speak at many, uh, you know, week long summer camps kind of serving as the camp, the camp pastor for the week. Right. which that was exciting because it's not, it's not just a one and done show. Right. It's I, I get to spend a whole week with the campers and teach through the Bible or the theme of the week and teach them memory verses. And I'm and all along the way, I'm using juggling and other kinds of, of tricks to engage the, uh, the kids. And um, that's the language they speak, you know, they speak the language of fun. So it, it's a way to, it's a way to uh, in, interact with young people. Okay, let me stop you. I want to come back. I know, to your I know. Story that, keep going, but go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So, okay, you speak the language of fun. Yes. That sounds like something you've thought of. You've thought through what that means. Yeah. Um, like when you engage kids, and this might be helpful for anybody working with kids, uh, any any type of youth, and you know, honestly, like adults too, right? But I know. Talk me up. What, what do you mean by the language of fun? Yeah. So. I mean, we we've all been kids before. We, you know, if you're walking on this earth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, I, I think most of us remember, and I know that, you know, ma many people have uh, hard childhoods, you know, yeah. traumatic events in their childhood. Um, even, even so, I think we all still, whether you had a great childhood or not, we all understand that being a child, there's something about that time of our lives that is, 
there, there's something fun about it. There's something amazing about it. And even if your whole world as a child was not fun, there's still, yeah. there's still a hope there. I think there's still a interesting there's a dream that, yeah, that, yeah. That it, you know, that something out there is better Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, than maybe what I'm experiencing right now in, in my life. You know, a lot of these kids that come to camp, they're, they're, they're coming from very difficult, you know, maybe home lives, uh, right. home situations and, and things going on in their lives and in their worlds. So, uh, you know, j- juggling or something fun, it helps kind of bring hope. It helps open up their eyes to uh, something that can maybe distract them from yeah. either, whether it be the mundane or the dark that that's around them in their lives, like juggling and other things can bring joy. They can bring light. They can bring fun. And as children, yeah, again, we, I think we all understand the language of fun as children. G- Jesus saw it too. When he, the disciples wanted to shoo the children away. Yeah. When, when the people were bringing the children to Jesus and he said, no, let the little children come to me. Um, yes. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know? So it, there's something and, about that, the, right. like how, like the argument from desire that uh, authors attributed to CS Lewis, that we, we long for something else and like, yeah. we, we want that type of joy. And if that's in us, like that's meant to be fulfilled, and even if it's not fulfilled. Absolutely. And I think, I think kids might have that a little stronger than us mm. adults. That's why Jesus told us to have faith like them. There, there's something about them that, that is more, has more faith and more hope. Than, than us adults we've kind of it's kind of worn off a little bit in our lives and so we need to keep looking back to the children to to learn what it means to have fun to have hope have faith and those kinds of things yeah now and i got i had an opportunity to look at your d- doctoral dissertation and i found it fascinating there was I, and i i didn't this isn't one of the quotes that i copied and pasted for my own notes for this but you quoted somebody who talked about the the reality of like sometimes in performers, and this might've been a section like I was talking about the philosophy behind circus arts, it, mm-hmm. but that it pushes to danger and darkness. It, you just brought up darkness when you yeah, when I yeah. asked you kind of expound on that. And I thought that was interesting that there, there's something like that as kids enter in to this language of fun, it also includes the reality of a world that might not always work out. Do you know what I'm talking about when I was, to talk about oh, yeah. Like yeah. So, so a, a circuit, if you study like circus historians and people who study the circus, yeah. one of the primary definitions of circus out there is, uh, is it includes an element of, uh, either, you know, danger or risk of life and limb. And, and if, wow. and if like, that's what, that's what makes the circus, the circus. And if you think about it, think about all the circus shows, maybe you've ever seen or heard about or seen on TV it's it's the lion tamers the tightrope walkers the the people that yeah. ride the motorcycles in the big sphere it's the acrobats it's people that are flipping through the air and if they if they fall they could die i mean it's it it really is the circus really is people risking their life for the entertainment of other people wow <laughs> you know that's what makes the circus there's really nothing else out there in the world that kind of defines itself by those terms and um and and, and here's again why i think there's a connection to children here Yes. Okay. Children, children, uh, their, their, their bodies are growing up. They're clumsy. They're still learning how to little children are still learning how to walk. You know, they're learning how to keep their balance. They're trying, they're, uh, they're learning how to, uh, be agile and coordinating with their hands and with their legs and with their, their eyes and their ears. They're still as children, even us adults, we're clumsy still too. Like we're all still learning, but, but, but again, kids are really, you know, they struggle daily with those developmental things. And the circus, it gives you two things. The circus gives the children and adults these two things. It gives you, it shows you these people with seemingly superhero powers, right? Like yeah, sure. a tightrope or even juggling seven rings or whatever. These look like superhero powers. And, it, and in some way it sparks, it sparks some sort of hope, I believe. Amen. Yeah. That, that there is something better out there, that there is that you can do the impossible, you know, like it, it kind of shows you that that's, yeah. that's on one side of the coin. The other side of the coin are the clowns. When mm. the, cl- when the clowns come in during the circus, they come in between the acts of superhuman feats. Interesting. So you, have, you have the lion tamer, uh, you have the lion tamer do an act. Um, and I'm saying that's kind of old fashioned to say that. Yeah. yeah. You know, Just, it it the highlights path. the danger. 
right? So, yeah, the reality the of the day. of the past would use the animals. The circuses are, thankfully, are moving away from the, you know, yeah. the animal exploitation. That's a whole other discussion too. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, like, like I think that was the, the, you know, the decline of Ringling Brothers and the increase of Cirque du Soleil. One of the big differences. Interesting. Is yeah. The animals, like, like Ringling focused so yeah. much on animals, Cirque du Soleil doesn't use animals. And, yeah, um, interesting. That's a whole other discussion too. But, <laughs> but let's sure. take. But let's go back to the the dangerous act. Yeah, those so maybe yeah. not a lion tamer. Let's take a tightrope walker. They'll do an act. Very next thing, clowns come out, and the clowns will will walk on a. You know, they'll pretend to be a tightrope walker. You know, they'll, they'll yeah, sure, yeah. They'll, they'll imitate the tightrope walker, and they'll stand on something that's two inches tall and you know a foot wide. And they'll do this and then they'll tip over and fall, you know, like to pretend that they just can't do it. And what that does is it, it brings relief to the audience. It, like, and, and, the ch- and the children, especially, it brings relief to the audience to say, oh, there's someone who relates to me in this show. And that's the clown. The clown relates to me because the clown, I can't do it, but neither can the clown. And, and that's funny, you know, like, because yes. uh, like the, the clown is self-deprecating. The clown is uh could could i say incarnational right mm. like, like the clown the clown is connecting to the uh you know to the child and and the the audience member in a powerful way and and to and to extend on that idea of incarnational i mean like jesus what jesus did yes. was was foolishness like dying on him dying on the cross that was foolishness to those it was weakness to the, what to the greeks and it was foolishness to the jews Right. Because they, they were looking for they were looking for some wise philosopher or some superhero, you know, to to save the day from the Romans. Yeah. Right? But what Jesus did dying on a cross was both foolishness and weakness in, in the in the eyes of yeah, those who yeah. saw him. Right. Uh, you know, pa- Paul says it himself. But but that is like the strength of God is like. Yes. The, the, so so what Jesus did was very much, I, I believe, like a boss clown move. <laughs> if, if I can say it that way. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, I love this. And you and I both, I think had a significant, we weren't in the same class, but we were both influenced by Ellsworth Callis. And um, for me, like I'm just now in part because I teach preaching. Um, I think about him more, but he was so insistent on there being a, a storyline mm-hmm. with, tension and release and of course for him he, he wants all that to be seen in the title of the sermon that governs the whole <laughs> idea right and done without notes too that's another story uh but ne- nevertheless like there's this there's this direction within the plot like there has to be a, a plot implies this direction and i i would have never until this minute thought about this circus demonstrating those contours mm-hmm. yeah um, now yeah. what is it um when when you think about the way that that gets expressed in your act now so you're you're not you're not a full circus you don't have a no a, you're not a lion tamer and a clown correct but, but as a and i know you do more than just juggle but tell me about that like how that works its way out in your particular gifting or your your yeah. variety that's actually a really good question and i have i have tried to uh, navigate that as a one-man show over the years and and it i think it's taken a few turns here or there even as i've grown and learned and developed this whole narrative piece of storytelling and uh the performing arts right um, so i do a little bit of both in my own show like i do a little bit of both the uh if you want to call it showing off you know it's it's there's a there's a, a famous juggler with a book called The Art of Showing Off, you know. Okay. <laughs> like, I think it's Dan Holzman, if I want to give him credit that to give credit where credit's due. Um yeah. but it's the um there's parts of my show where I am demonstrating the juggling skills that I have. So so I'll juggle machetes or I'll balance a six okay. foot ladder on my face or I'll I've juggled chainsaws, you know, like I'll oh my or I'll juggle six items, six rings. And those are those are thrilling and they're fun to do, but intermittently, I'll take the audience on a journey where I'll either either pretend like I can't do it, you know, and especially if there's little kids in the crowd, you know, if yeah. you trip or fall or stumble over yourself in an attempt to do this amazing feat, 
um, that's where you, that's where you get the laughs and and honestly the connection they feel human you know like they yeah. they feel like I'm human it's and we're all okay you know we're like we're we're kind of together in this and so so I do both like I do both like successful you know feats of juggling but I also do parts where I'm kind of pretending to mess up so that and it helps them relate to me now the benefit of that as a performer is that. I can, I can legitimately mess up or drop, which happens sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes the, it keeps the audience guessing, like, did he mean to do that or did he, right. not? and I just try to let them, I, you know, I, as a performer, I can just let them guess, you know, like maybe I did, maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and other, and other times, like when I drop, I'll just look at the audience and, and I'll say, well, yeah, you, know, you can't boo me because you can't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, okay I, I have some like juggling questions i want to ask at some point but going back to okay i remember you having like pulling i remember sitting at in the library but this is totally dating both of us here so excuse uh, me like yeah. you know we had got good solid internet at the library oh yeah <laughs> so oh, like we would sit we often like uh, be sitting there together and i remember you pulling out yes yeah, so i juggle it's one of the things yeah. i do and i yeah. but you i don't like, how do you move to, how'd you move from the place of kind of liking the juggle in high school and college seminary to being able to do a full show? Like yeah, you're, yeah. when did you make that pivot to being able to, to, cause then you had that in kind of in your, in your back pocket when you got with four, his kids, but I'm mm -hmm. curious about that. Like, how do you make that transition? Okay. So I, I do have to give credit to like the church environment in which I was raised. Okay. Uh, it was, it was a, a church environment that was heavy on the fine arts. Okay. And so things like music and choir and the performing arts, they were all kind of held up as a, as a, a, a way to worship the Lord. You know, like we, we, we worship God, you know, it, the, the arts is one way in which we simply reflect God's glory back to him uh, as image bearers and yeah. is expressing, uh, you know, truth, beauty, and goodness through uh, music, art, drama, and juggling, whatever it might be, whatever gifts and talents that we have all been handed. So it was a church that encouraged that and, and taught that and acted it out. So it, it was a larger church that I grew up in. And so it would put on like a big, uh, Easter production every year, like, like a dramatization of first century, you know, Jerusalem and, and okay. play out the, the Easter story. And the same thing at Christmas time, we would play out the nativity with like live camels and flying angels with the harnesses from the ceiling, all that stuff. And it was, wow. it was like big production number kind of stuff where they had the, they had the big lights and, uh, the costumes and we had, you know, hours and hours of rehearsals. So that, and that's just all I knew was you know fine arts and performing arts and being on stage like that that was just kind of I was thrust into that environment I was in choir all through school myself and traveled with choirs and um it, music was a big part of my life so playing piano uh singing um I was in a barbershop quartet <laughs> it was okay you know, we, we traveled and went to competitions it was uh being on stage was just something I was all I grew up on stage I guess I could say Okay. And my parents always saw that in me too. My parents always said that I never knew a stranger. I was just yeah, I was sure. comfortable on stage. Um, and meanwhile, while I'm living this church life of, of performing arts, I'm also living a, a parallel life of learning how to juggle and going to juggling festivals. Like okay. so not, not, not Christian themed or anything. This is just right. the, 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 the greater wider world of, it's called the International Jugglers Association, the IJA. They have an annual festival every year with hundreds to thousands of jugglers, whatever whatever number of people show up. But they have it in different cities around the country each year. And that's where some of the best jugglers in North America and now the world will, will converge. And you, you meet one another and they have competitions and workshops and uh, all sorts of things. So I, I went to a lot of those, regional okay. and national. And I would compete in some of the competitions and um and it you know met a lot of made a lot of friends that that I still have to this day and it's at those conventions that I really learned like I guess you could say the art of performing the skill of juggling like okay. you can you can have the skill of juggling anyone can can read the 
uh, juggling for the complete klutz book, you know, or, you know, the, these, these mass produced juggling books out there or watching on YouTube, you can, you can learn how to juggle. That's one thing, but it's a whole other thing to learn how to, how to be a performer of juggling and, okay. and what, yes. what it means to, to carry an audience through a 45 minute act all by yourself right. of uh, whatever it is, whatever your personality is as a performer, whether it's humor or, uh, you know, virtuoso skill sets or a little bit of both, you know, you kind of jugglers and other related, um, you know, variety performers, we have to write our own stuff usually and put together our own content and create, you know, out of nothing, something that is of enjoyable service to audiences. And you just find that sometimes by trial and error and, and being in the community of people that do it. So it was that being around that community of people that did it, that I got to learn and see others how to do it. Um, but also, and I, I learned this in my dissertation when I interviewed other variety performers to grow in this kind of vocation, you really have to just grind it out. And at, at the beginning, especially just show up and do as many shows as you can for whoever will have you for however much pay, if even if nothing, you know, that's, wow. that's, that's how most of us get our start. It's, I think a lot of musicians are like that too. You just, you show up at any bar or restaurant that has, you know, people sitting in the chairs and you, you, you perform your act and you do it for the love of the act at, at first, you know, and yeah. grow as, and develop as a performer. And eventually, hopefully if you're passionate about it enough and it's your calling, you know, you'll get good enough that people will start inviting you yeah. to their events, yeah. you know, to come, to come do it for them. And, uh, and by God's grace, maybe make a living from it. Um, yeah. you know, if that's, if that's how the, you know, the journey plays out that God has for you. So, well, let me ask you a couple of juggling questions and then I'll get back to your story and then to dissertation a little yeah, bit. Yeah, more. yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm really, uh, so, so what is your, uh, what's your kind of like uh, most virtuosic act or, 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 or not act or yeah. trick? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I want to use like appropriate words. No, no, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. I understand. Yeah. Or what do you, what have you worked on and like, uh, what, what, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Could you mention like the, uh, chainsaws? I mean, that yeah, sounds pretty yeah. I was about to say the chainsaws. That's usually the first thing on people's minds when they find out I'm a performer, I'm a juggler. They usually ask me two questions. Like if a stranger meets me on a plane or something, you know, how'd, yeah, you, yeah. how'd you get into that? And can you juggle chainsaws? And, oh, really? So, so that I never even heard of it till right now. Oh yeah, everybody wants to know if you juggle chainsaws. And there, there was a famous performer, uh, Albert Lucas. He was a famous juggler. Um, okay. And especially, I think back in the '80s, he was real big. He would do the, the performing on ice. They, they, you know, like an ice skater, and he would juggle, and he would do fire, and he would do chainsaws. Uh, he was, one, I think, he was one of the ones that popularized the, um, the, uh, what do you, what do you call it? The, um. The, the the myth that everybody has in their mind of the great juggler you know chainsaw juggler okay um, there may have been others before him I'd, I'd have to ask a friend of mine david kane he's a historical a historian on jugglers he would know better than me but from my memory i think albert lucas popularized the idea of the chainsaw juggler so ever since then a lot of people when they hear about jugglers they want to know if we can juggle chainsaws so i would get that question a lot years ago it's, it actually bothered me that I said no whenever people would ask me that. It kind of bothered me because I was like, you know, uh, I don't want to let these people down. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. So I started looking. You, I, I'm sorry, total ignorance. Do you turn the chainsaws on? Do you oh, crank yeah, them yeah. up? Yeah. So, so I started looking on the market myself for chainsaws that were small enough that weren't like, you know, big, heavy. I didn't, I, I, I physically can't juggle, you know. 30 inch bar chainsaws. Right. So, right. so I looked on the market for something that was manageable, you know, weight wise. And I found these battery operated ones like nowadays with these big lithium ion batteries with on appliances yeah. and hand tools, yard tools. I found some, those battery powered chainsaws. It's a legit chain and it cuts wood. And I got, I bought three of them and they're light enough. And what, and I, I jerry rigged them. I added a, uh, a dowel rod like i screwed a dowel rod to them so i could hold the dowel rods okay uh, yeah but but I, I didn't jerry rig it so that they're inoperable i just made it so i can you know throw yes. them in the air using using the dowel rods but the whole chainsaw is still there and it's on and the chain is on and I'll, i can cut you know a two by four with all three of them and then and then juggle them away and I, i've 
and and I and I've done it. I, I practiced it with without them on first. Okay. <laughs> and, and then and then I practiced it with them on, and I would step back out of the way and let them fall on the grass if I got too scared. Um, but uh, you know, I've only lost one finger doing it. <laughs> anyway uh yeah but it's so it's okay to use your standard jokes on me it's okay i I have some standard jokes too that one worked well yeah but but now i can say that i've done it and uh it's it's fun so what's the most virtuoso thing that might be one i i I also i just love juggling rings like there's big you know plastic rings they just look really stunning i I enjoy watching other people juggle rings and so i enjoy watching the rings fly above my head like like a bunch of planets in orbit or something it's just really cool um and so i can juggle up to seven of those and that's fun to um that's fun to just get them up in the air and and juggle it's it's that's what got me into it in the first place it's the personal enjoyment of it right right? it's fascinating to see in in the end, I don't, I don't do it to make a buck, you know, like that's not the, that's not the primary motivation. Like this, yeah. it's, for, it's for the love of it, you know, like, like artists do stuff because we love it and, and we're passionate about it. And um, if it brings joy and passion to other people too, then that's wonderful. And we'll, we'll, we'll do it for, uh, you know, for others because it's something you can share with the world. So. Yeah. There's something, it's interesting as you're saying, you, you described that moment where you can see them flying above your head. Yeah. There's something amazing about the reality of our consciousness that mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful. While I'm preaching often, like while words are coming out of my mouth, I, I do find when I'm, you know, prepared enough real satisfaction in in the kind of like the eric little type of comment the pleasure of the lord when i'm when i'm uh preaching but it's amazing me that there are there are moments where i can think about my preaching while i'm preaching and in other and other things too like every now and then that could happen with music i wish i could say it happened with sports but i've never really that good good enough at it but nevertheless like there's something about like i'm saying words now and i'm thinking about how enjoyable this is, or I'm thinking about um, the p- person on the front row or the back row or something like yeah. that. And, 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 and thinking about you, like while you're in the midst of, I mean, juggling, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. You're, you're thinking about like, this is a beautiful thing. I mean, yeah. it truly is a, a, a art that you, yeah. you have opportunity to participate in. The, hearing you say what you're saying, the thing that comes to my mind is that uh, it's a, it's about chaos and order. I mean, like, yeah, sure. There's something very satisfying about bringing order out of chaos, and yes. that's, that's what God does. You know, He He brings order out of the chaos of our lives and in this world. And you know, juggling is, you know, because of gravity and because of human clumsiness. Juggling, if you just throw things up in the air, that's chaos, right? Yeah, sure. But if you can somehow learn a skill or learn the skill of like throwing them at the right times in a pattern and catching them and repeating it over and over again, when, when you learn that skill, you are bringing order to chaos. And mm. there, and, and when, when you get to do it with your own hands and see it happening in front of you, it is, it is like you said, it's like, I feel the Lord's pleasure. I feel his pleasure. Um, when you, when you get to be a part of that bringing order out of chaos. And, and we, we all use juggling as a metaphor in our lives all the time. I hear people say it all the time, like juggling their family or their schedule or their work or whatever it is, we're all jugglers. And that maybe that's why people also like juggling because you're seeing, you're seeing a, a physical, literal manifestation of what we all say. Yes deep down inside in our own lives and in our own worlds. We all feel clumsy and that we can't fight against gravity and we can't keep everything in order. So when you see a juggler, maybe it is a spark of hope that like, Oh, there is hope in the world. Like there there is, there is, it, it might, it might be possible that my life could, you know, could have more order than the chaos that I feel right now uh, because I'm watching this juggler right now. I don't know. Oh, Jesse, that is good. It, like, I love how you bring that in, like, even like the idea of the circus and what draws us to the circus, what's drawn people to the circus throughout the centuries. And then even with juggling too, like, I, I haven't thought about like, why is it? But, but that's it. Like there's, there's something to that that connects us to a, a bigger story. Now I'm interested to, to, to know what is it uh, when you go to these international uh, 
juggling associations and there's competitions. What is the extreme? Like who is, what is the Michael Jordan or LeBron James of juggling doing? Like you like, (laughs) okay, we're all going to get in here and see this. Yeah. I I mean, but first of all, juggling has the the skills of juggling have just exploded since I was a teenager when I was going to a lot of conventions, you know, when I had time, you know, now I have a family, (laughs) you know, I've got kids that are in school. It's, it's harder for me to get out and go to a lot of these conventions that I used to go to. Um, but what, what used to be amazing, amazing stuff and virtuoso stuff back in the eighties and nineties is now just standard stuff now. And, and, like the, the skill sets are just mind blowing. Like when I watch these YouTube videos or Instagram feeds of great jugglers out there, they're just doing mind blowing things. And it, and it's exciting for the art of juggling to see people pushing the limits and, and exploring the boundaries of the, of the human possibilities of what we can yeah. do. Juggling. So uh, some of it is, it's not necessarily in found in the sheer numbers, like the, there is there there is something called numbers juggling where people try to break the Guinness Book of World Records of how many objects to keep in there at once. And honestly, I forget what the current record is. I think it's close to twelve or thirteen. Uh, wow. You know, in terms of like either either what's called a flash or a juggle. A flash is when you just get you you throw them all up and you catch them in order. It's 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 one rotation of the pattern. A okay. juggle is if you can get all those objects in. Uh, you know, through the pattern twice. So, so that would be like juggling 12 balls for 24 catches. Okay. And, um, but there, I mean, there's, but there's multiple jugglers that can handily juggle nine, even 10, uh, you know, objects when you get into 11, 12 and 13 and and above, you get, you get into the rarefied air, you know, so that's, that's like numbers wise, but then you're, I, yes. But then you also have like, um, like artistic juggling. So you have this, it's kind of like performance juggling. They're not so worried about the, the skills of like how many objects you can juggle, but they're more worried about like the visual, the visual presentation of the juggling. So if you see some of this, it it almost looks like ballet or the art of movement with objects. And they might, they might only have one or two objects, maybe three, but they're, they're rolling, rolling pins around their arms and, flopping them yeah. behind the back and it, and it, it looks very, uh, it, it, it's more like a dance, you know, with the objects and, um, some people call it f- flow, you know, flow movement and, and right. they'll, they'll use other things that, that, that flow and move. And there, there's many props out there that, that jugglers will use the, to kind of express our art in different ways. Um, Mm. There's contact juggling. That's where you're, you know, you've got, you, you know, you've got a ball and you roll it back and forth on your hand like this. This it's not really a contact ball. This is where you need the video but, folks. Go yeah. to YouTube, watch on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So do that again. But, well, yeah. It, I mean, I'm, I'm actually not a very good contact juggler, but it's where you, it's where you roll the ball on your hand. If, if okay. anyone saw the, uh, um, the movie, the, the labyrinth back in the eighties oh, with, uh, with, with David Bowie, like, yeah. you know, they, they, they have him like, you know, ro- rolling the balls through his hands like this. It's actually not him. It's, it's another, it's a famous juggler. It's his hand doing it. Um, but you can you kind of roll the ball in your hand and you can, some people can do it very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do mostly the toss juggling, like that's what okay. I do. And, okay. and I, I, I focus on toss juggling more than, uh, contact juggling or other, other types, but you also have, you have also everything from what's called the, the Diablo. It's like a Chinese yo-yo. You have yes, yeah, yeah. flower sticks or devil sticks. You got cigar boxes. It's where you kind of manipulate them midair into different positions. Um, and, uh, and an endless number of other kinds of props that, that are even coming out more and more of flow props and juggling props that, that variety artists, you know, variety performers use. I forget the original question that led us. Yeah, to yeah, this. no, that's good. I was wanting to know, like, what what's the what's the kind of like LeBron James, uh, oh, yeah. Michael Jordan. Yeah. But I think you got there. Uh, like yeah. that everybody wants to to see what they're doing. Maybe getting up to twelve and thirteen and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm interested as you're able to work through this with you, you've developed this skill. You've been picked up. You're working with uh, for his kids. Then you know this becomes your the the means for providing for your family you and your wife have three kids Mm -hmm. this is this isn't just like making money in the summertime talk to me about this like becoming what you what you do yeah so i mean i I, 
I can say that the Lord has provided miraculously over the years, you know, for, for my family. I, I also, sometimes I, um, I'll sell juggling toys at a merchandise table after my show. So I'll yeah. do my show and then I'll tell the crowd, you know, Hey, come check out my merchandise table after the show. All the, all the proceeds go to the feed my family foundation. You know, that's okay. what I tell That's what I tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but you know, really people over, over the years, I have found that people have been very um, generous to me okay. in supporting what I do. It's, it's like, it's kind of like when people hire me or bring me in to, to speak at an event or do something for them. I've learned over the years that it's um, to, I've learned over the years that that's their way of like patronizing the arts, you know, like, like, yeah. Like, yeah. And that's know, we, a positive use of that word patronizing. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a positive use of being a patron of the arts. Right. It, yeah. It's someone who, um, I mean, like back in the, uh, what was it? The 1500s, the, in Italy, right? Wasn't it? Was it the Medici family? Am I getting that right? Like they, they're, the, they're the ones who funded um, the great artists, like Michelangelo and okay, Vinci. yeah. It was maybe maybe not Da Vinci. I don't know, but you know the Sistine Chapel and yeah, the, the you know Michelangelo's um, you know uh, carvings and and yeah. not uh, not carvings, sculptures, you know of of the Pieta and you you have this beautiful art. Um, telling the story of God and they, they were funded by art patrons and right. correct me if I'm wrong. We, someone might have to look this up. I believe it was the Medici family, I believe was, was one of the primary art patrons of the time that, that helped fund great art. Yeah. Um, you have that even today. You have art, you have foundations oh, yeah. that support the artists. So every time someone brings me in to do my show or invites me to perform what I have, I see that as them. Uh, there's, they're supporting me as an artist and I am eternally grateful. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, yeah. It, and it really is a blessing and I don't take it for granted and I'm not in it for the money. Um, but it sure does help to, you know, pay, pay for my heating bill and, and buy diapers for my little children. And, yeah. you know, like it's, um, it, every, everything is a blessing. I, I started out when, when I started doing this kind of work, it was while I was in college at okay. Taylor University, and I would I would work almost every weekend and often midweek events doing juggling shows like around Central Indiana and a little bit okay. beyond. And when I started out, I was I actually kind of felt bad asking people to pay me, like because I because I loved what I did so much, and I was like, well, you know, I don't know, just l- let me do my show, and I, I don't know, give me a love offering or a donation, yeah, sure. or, you know, I'll accept anything like that. I really did go in with like this, this attitude of like, I'm just grateful to do what I do. And yeah. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to demand like a fee out of you. And I did that for about four years. And, wow. um, and I'm so glad I started out that way. Cause I think it helped me. It helped me for the rest of my vocational career up to this point, still kind of view what I do as like, it's, it's ultimately not about the money. Like I'm not doing it for the money. Now there right. did come a time where I was doing it more often and, you know, at, at different events where they, they wanted to know, like, how much do we need to pay you for this? You know? And, and cause it, do, it takes time. It takes work. Oh it, yeah. It, You're it, away it, from your family. Yeah, exactly. So, so there comes a time in one's life where if it's like, if you want to make a living out of it, there's, there's, there's gotta be some sort of understanding that, yeah, you got to make a living from it. Um, but be, I think because I it I got to the point where my campus pastor at Taylor University he saw what I was doing and he was like you need to charge people a fee <laughs> like you yeah need, sure you know, like like don't just give yourself away for free and um and and that really that really kind of stretched me because I I almost felt like bad I felt bad yeah, sure. taking money for uh you know for what I was doing and but but again over the years especially because it's an art that I believe. Uh, I don't know that I'm passionate about. And um, I, I, I've just learned that people do want to support you. You know, if you're an artist, they want to, yeah. they want to bless you and they want to thank you for the art that you're doing in the world. Yeah. And uh, I've had I, to work through that yeah, this year. I'm just so, I'm so thankful for that. And it's helped me change my mind about other artists too. Like I see other artists out in the world and I'm like, well, I want to support them yeah. because they're, they're, 
they're doing art in the world. They're doing performing. They're putting it out there like buskers, street performers. Like I love mm. dropping some money in their hat because I've been there. I've done that. I know what it's like and I know what it is. And I want to see, I never want to see the busker go away from the world. Like you, I want to see them continue on. And so I will gladly, you know, like support them because I have been supported so much over my life. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I feel like uh, this, when I was serving as a Savage Army officer, for about 15 years, um, yeah. I wasn't allowed to have any other source of income. That was part of like the deal of being a yeah. service army officer. And I was only allowed to generally accept two opportunities for ministry outside of my appointment each year. Well, that all changed when I um, came to Wesley and I never had um, charged. I never, I mean, I remember like I did a pretty big event while as a service army officer that I'm guessing somebody would get, you know, a significant honorarium now for it. But I remember at the end of it, I was given a, a mug, a, a coffee mug. And it was actually a really nice coffee. I still have, I use it every day. Yeah, and yeah. it's a, and, and somebody said, Oh, that's a shame that you're doing that. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not allowed to have anything. So to get this mug is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it is a very special it. mug to you. I'm sure it's very <laughs> special mug. But now if I would have done that event now, like I would expect a, you know, a sizable honorary, but it's been, it's been interesting because now I've, in a year of not be, being in a local church pastor, I preached more than I did in a local church. And so I've had people have asked me and I've had to develop a cost and I have that first uh, a fee. And I had to calculate, well, what's the value to my family? What do I make? What am I losing? Yeah. Um, and the first time somebody asked me and I gave them a number, I was like, I'd fear it was really hard for me because could me, I'm like, I'm a preacher. Like I'm here. I am doing this, right, but, it, right. but still I got to see the joy that people have in offering opportunity to provide for you. Like yes, we're exactly. provide for the person right. who's doing it. And I imagine that would be like, be the, I'm sorry. I haven't able ever been able to hire you myself, Jesse, but um, I, I would love to support you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand like what you're saying. And, and it's, um, yeah, one thing I learned in my dissertation research, uh, I inter I interviewed um, thirty Christian variety. Yeah, go into that. That's good. Yeah, sure. And uh, the, and these were deep dive interviews, so it was a qualitative research study. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm it's not like I'm trying to do some quantitative thing where I'm trying to prove a theory. That's not that wasn't the methodology I used. I used right. what's called qualitative research, where where you kind of dive deep into how people make sense of something in the world or make meaning out of something. So I was, I was talking about it, how they exploring, how they make meaning out of their own vocational callings in, in, in life, you know, particularly yes. the work as variety performers, all that to say that one subject that came up across all 30 interviews, like every last one of them brought up money, like money was a big topic, but it wasn't the main topic. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the end all it was. So the way I put it in the dissertation is that money, money is for, for a variety performer, money is everywhere, but it's not everything. Like it's, it's not the main thing. It's not the driving force of what we do, but it's still everywhere because it's how, it's how we operate on this earth. It's how we exchange. It's how we barter. It's how we support. It's how we live. It's how we pay for providing for our families, whatever it's, it's always there, but it's not the driving force. And, um, and so what am I trying to get at? It was, it was just neat to hear their stories of, yeah. of how money was something that was, uh, they never, they never chased after it. Right. But it always showed up like, like what they were chasing after was actually following their calling and, and yes. being true to their art and true to their calling, like faithful to their art and faithful to their calling. And when they did, according to them, it's like the money simply followed. Like, like yeah. it just, it showed up in, in miraculous ways or just in ways that they weren't expecting in ways that supported what they did. And that, that was, that was encouraging to Interesting. see. Uh, yeah. It, it, you you have four basic ideas that, that kind of you found consistent throughout this, and it moves from journey, joy, community, and oblation. Am I saying yes. that word right? Yep. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, and, and that's a new one for me. And yeah. I saw that came uh, like you took that from some social sciences. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm really right. fascinated by that. But uh, yeah. like I think probably it fell in that area where you talked about this journey. Like this is a part of it. Like we have to fit. If you're going to do this. You, 
you're, you're going to have to figure out how to be away from your family at mm-hmm. certain times and travel and be yeah. in odd places and deal with weird things with people yeah. hosting you in funny ways and yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. So, so, so t- tell me about those, those, um, areas, those four areas and yeah. why that's significant. Cause it could just sound like, Oh, well, this is just kind of four points, but they were things that you pulled from your interviews. That's correct. Yeah. So, so I, um, you know, I transcribed all the interviews and got tons of, you know, uh, like textual data from that, you know, word for word transcribing and, uh, it was exciting. It was almost like, you know, doing an, an inductive Bible study, right? Like yeah. you, you have to look at the text and you have to draw out from the text, not read into it. So I'm drawing yes. out from the text of these interviews. Like, what is it that these people actually said and how are they making meaning of different topics and their own callings? And, and yeah, those were the four major themes that arose to the top in my analysis of that data. Um, like it, as you said, that there's a there's a journey to one's calling. Uh, calling expresses itself in the form of joy for these performers, like both internally and and as an outward expression to, uh, towards others. They're they're they do it in the context of community, both being uh, like supported and encouraged by a community around them and contributing to a larger community, like of their vocational community. Yeah, sure. And, and then finally, the oblation. That's it's an old fashioned word that means a sacrificial offering. So, Interesting. um, and, and it was, and, and that came straight out of the yeah, social science, um, Abraham Maslow, the, um, yeah. you, you know, the hierarchy of needs, like the hierarchy of needs. So what he found is that the people who had achieved in his studies, what, what's called self-actualization, he found that yeah. pretty much to a T all those people that have, that had reached self-actualization, um, approached their own life uh, work and labor as as a as a calling and he said uh like an oblation and and like as if their their work was something that they poured out on an altar of Mm -hmm. of sacrifice unto uh the lord you know unto a deity because that that it's oblation is a religious term it's used in the context of of making a sacrificial offering to a deity. So whatever religion you're in, it, it can apply to different religions. Religions, the term is is very broad. So, um, but as Christians, right? Like we we see, um, I mean, what Jesus did was an oblation. You know, yeah, like, sure. Like he's a, he's the sacrificial lamb. But what we do is our even the work of our hands. It it's it's hard. It's toilsome. We sweat by it. It's it can be difficult. You know, it's not all fun and games all the time. Even even jugglers and circus performers, it can be tough. And yet, what we're doing is we we are taking this this work that we've been gifted with, and we're we're sacrificially offering it, um, not just to the world, you know, in service to others, but ultimately unto the Lord. Like it's yes. it's. Are, that's what makes, I believe, a calling, you know, is something wow. that you're taking and you're, you're offering it back unto the Lord. He's the one who gave us those gifts and that calling in the first place. Yes. And, and then we funnel it through our own life expression for ourselves and for others. But then we, we like, we direct it right back up to God by kind of directing all that we do unto him. Colossians three seventeen. you know, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all, you know, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so, and, and you know, when that's happening, you know, when you're giving that type of offering, it's the best of your skill set. I imagine I could come to your show and I might not know it when you're not as sharp, but you do. Right? <laughs> like, sure. and you know, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I could. I mean, I guess you could drop yeah, something, but I don't know. Well, that's the thing that there, there is an old saying about jugglers that like, you know, where we are, we are one of the types of jobs where when you do mess up, everybody sees, right? That's <laughs> like, right. Yeah. It's, it's like, like referees or umpires in sports, right? Like, yeah. like it, we, they're invisible if they're doing everything right. But once they mess up, it's very, very visible. And so jugglers are like that too. We, we are held to a very high standard and with our, with our claims of being able to juggle things. Yeah. I guess it could show uh, maybe not just in juggling itself, but in the, um, uh, the act, like mm-hmm. your transitions, like when you, well, well, I don't know what would make it hard, but there are things about in any art form and that this, you know, if you think of sports as an art, um, but as, as teaching as an art. So I know when I'm 
when I'm in the right zone and I'm think when I'm doing the right, like students might not realize that I wasn't as organized at this point, but I can right. kind of play yeah. it off. Not, not saying that that happens on a regular basis. So I hope not, but we can try to put ourselves in that place where we, the oblation of it, like we're, we want to offer the best that we can for the yeah. Lord in this, because like what we're doing is utilizing the gifts he's given us for that higher purpose. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is so interesting, Jesse. What are, what are some of the things that that people don't ask you that you think they should? Oh <laughs> like, man, like what is it that people don't know about uh, even being on the road or uh, being a variety performer? Yeah, I already um, asked the obvious question. Like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Yeah, but yeah. tell me about. You know, so here's something that comes to mind. Some people sometimes I think what people don't understand if you're if someone is not a, a traveling performer. There's some things that they just don't, I don't think they will ever fully understand. Like that we as traveling performers, we all get, and we all understand. Like you can put me in a room with some other traveling performers and we would all connect and relate on like, as we talk shop about what it means to be on the road and be performing and, you know, day after day and night after night and sleeping in this hotel and then that hotel and getting on this airplane and, you know, having a delayed flight and a canceled flight and you show up at a show and you give it your all. And, uh, and then, you know, afterwards, like your adoring fans all want your attention and they all want your signature and they, uh, you know, they all want to talk to you all night long, but you know, you just want to go back to the hotel room and collapse. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and so there is something that I think we as performers, we do understand about each other that, um, you know, like you, you can't be everybody's best friend all the time. You know, people see you on stage and, they feel this deep connection to you because you're talking to them and you're, or maybe you're on a big screen because it's a big event and they're putting your face on a big screen. And, and all of a sudden you become like a celebrity or a star in their mind. And, and then afterwards, like they, they all want to talk to you and be just as close to you as you were to them, you know, on the stage. Mm -hmm. Now there's there, is, I believe there is a level of responsibility for those of us with the privilege to be on stages. You know, we do carry a responsibility to, connect and engage with people, you know, on a, on a human level and, and yeah. be friendly and respectful, um, and, and, uh, be thankful, you know, that, that for the opportunity to do what we do, but there's a limit, you know, it's like, there comes yes. a point where we have to say, I need to go home now, or I need to go be by myself now. <laughs> like I need to, um, like, I can't, I can't give everybody in the audience, uh, you know, an hour of my time after the show to, to talk and chat. I, I'm a human. I need to get some sleep. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you've got to, you got to balance things like that. You want to be gracious and kind and thankful, but you also, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to like shut the door and say, I'm so sorry. I got to go now. You know, like I, I have to wake up early and catch another flight. Yeah. Um, yeah, most people understand, but um, you know, do you have a, a rider? Do you have to have like all brown M&Ms when you show no. up or something like that? <laughs> no, I, I try, I try not to be, uh, you know, I try not to be picky. I try to, you know, I, I do have a rider, but I, I try to just keep it to the the necessary items that just help help the show go well and the, yeah, the event sure. go well. I, I, that's what I want. I want each event to be a, um, you know, a success in terms of serving the, uh, you know, the goals of the events and serving right. in the process and ultimately serving the Lord, you know. Yeah. I remember when, hearing a comedian that's talk about, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. A yeah. comedian talking about like the importance of some of those uh, functional things that need to be in place. Like, and you might not need this or maybe you'd like it, but like having a spotlight like that, like mm -hmm. for a comedian, there's something about the way they direct the audience's attention to them. Yeah. It's important for the act to function. And, and, uh, and some people, Oh, you're just a, a prima donna or something like that, but it really is yeah. important to have those things in place or like, you know, yeah. you show up someplace and they don't have a good microphone or right. any, any number of things. Yeah. Yeah. I start, I carry my own microphone around Interesting. Yeah. The, the, the headset, the receiver and everything. And, and I can plug it into most any sound system, but, um, yeah, it, thankfully a lot of the events I go to most people, they, like the, the sound and the tech crew and the teams, like they're great people and they, they're, they, they want it to be a successful event and they do a great job most of the time, you know, of, of hooking me up and, but, but it, each event's different. And because I go to different ones, I do have to like start over again with each one. Like, okay, let's, let's do a sound check. Let's make sure the lights are where, you know, 
they need to be. Let's play my background music. Um, I I don't I don't carry around a a, a roadie crew. Like I don't, I don't have right, my right. sound crew that comes around with me. So I do have to I have to learn how to be. Um, I have to learn how to adjust to a new group of people every single time I do a show. Wow. And um, I've, I've, I've learned over the years to be humble about it. I think early on, I was a little bit of a, a diva about it. Like everything's got to go my way and you got to do what I want to do. But I've, I've learned, maybe I'm older now that, um, you know, often these events that I go to the person running sound, you know, uh, you know, they, they work with a lot of performers too. And they, they've seen mm -hmm. a lot of good, bad and ugly. And I've learned that sometimes you just, uh, just be friendly and respect people and be nice to people and that they'll be nice back. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and well, they'll, they'll, they'll be on your side. And um, yeah, so I, so I try to be, I try to be humble and thankful for the great sound crews that are behind me because uh, you know, I, I want them to be on my side, not against me. They have the power to mute me, you know, if they don't. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I do, like the, my podcast is called More to the Story, and I often ask that question. So well, is there more to the story of Jesse uh, than um, just juggling in ministry? Like well, sure. Like so, yeah. So, well, I mentioned I play the piano. I still play the piano as my side hobby that I don't perform on stage. Piano is okay. what I do in the privacy of my own home. So I, I like to play the piano. I like to sing. I like bird watching. Um, okay. I, I like going on hikes with my family. We, we like to explore the national parks. You know, we've been to a no, oh, number yeah. of national parks across the country. Um, what, which ones have you been to recently? So like during COVID, we made it out to Grand Canyon and Zion and, okay. uh, you know, Shenandoah National Park here in Virginia. Uh, we've been to Crater Lake out in Oregon. Oh, wow. I want to get I there. Mean, so, yeah. yeah. And, and not just the national parks, but also national forests and um, you know, national conservation areas, like, so, uh, like, uh, you know, like Assateague Island out in the Eastern shore of Virginia, White Mountain National Forest up in New Hampshire. We just went there this, this past summer. Um, America really is a beautiful country. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't need a passport to see the world. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful, we have so much, you know, yes. beautiful landscape here in this, in this nation. And I guess as a traveler, I do, uh, I've grown to learn that, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things out there under the National Park Service. Um, yeah. yeah to, to we explore. just did this summer, we did Badlands, uh -huh. Rushmore, um, Custer State Park, mm -hmm. Yellowstone, Tetons. Wonderful. And dabbed our toe into arches. So we okay. did a huge, yeah. but yeah, yeah, we're, we've become a National Park family. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it, once you get the bug, it, it's like you want to just check off the, the whole list or something. I, I would love to make oh, it to Alaska yeah. and make it to, you know, the, exactly. the many parks that are up there. Um, oh, but you I, have some baseball cards yeah. behind you, too. I was going to okay. get to that. I, I also collect baseball cards. My, um, you know, Cal Ripken Jr. is my man. You know, he's. he's oh, the, there you go. You know, okay. He's, he's the, um, you know, two-time MVP, World Series champion, 1983, uh, and the Iron Man. You know, who played more yeah. games than any other player. He broke Lou Gehrig's record. So he's, um, you know, he, he's your ball. best card. Yeah, no, no, best no, card? no. You know, the best, the best one. I'm still, I'm still looking for it. It's actually his top traded rookie card. I don't have. I used to have yeah. it, but I, when I was when I was in college, I sold my baseball card collection to buy an engagement ring for Sarah when we got <laughs> and I wanted to marry her. So, so I sold off my baseball cards after it was right after college. And, um, you know, I, you know, I got the engagement ring and she said, yes. So I came out ahead in that deal. Um, but, but about 15 years into our marriage, I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about baseball cards in a while and we stumbled upon an old baseball card shop in Ohio on one of my juggling trips. And, we went inside and I looked around and I could smell the smells again. Of oh being, yeah. And the baseball cards and the bubble gum and all that stuff. And I, and there in the case was a, um, not a super expensive card, but I, it was a memorable one for me, but it was one of Cal Ripken's. Oh rookie, yeah. The Don, Don, Don Russ of 82. And I saw it in there and there was, I think it was like $14, not a very expensive card. And she saw me, you know, salivating. <laughs> and she was like, go ahead and go ahead and buy it for yourself. So, so I bought it for $14 and when, when I put this, when I brought this home, this one card was the bug that got me back into collecting, oh, you know, to, like all these years later. So I started trying to amass a little bit of what I used to have before I sold it all, you know, to buy her engagement ring. But the, the beautiful thing is like, 
she kind of started it, you know, like she yes, got right. into it, right? She she gave me permission to go ahead and buy this for myself. And it's almost like, uh, you know, she's she's redeeming, you know, my old hobby that I'd sold off all those years ago um, huh. you know, with, with her blessing. So that that was the fun part. But my, I don't know, the some of his rookies are some of my favorite cards. And so I'm uh, going to call upon one of, I think one of my listeners, I'll see if he's listening now. Here's, here's, Autograph ball. That that's probably one oh, of my favorites. Is that Cal Ripken? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's oh of, wow. Awesome. That's one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia from him. So that, yeah. that's where cards cards have gone now is towards like giving pieces of uh jerseys and autographs. Yeah. My friend, he's a listener to his podcast sometimes is Jonathan Fitzgerald. Uh-huh. Yeah, there, there's his jersey right there. Oh, yeah. there you got it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're called that. they're called relic cards. It's it's very religious sounding, you know. They're relics. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I have a Ryan Sandberg rookie card. That was my, that's my player. That's my, oh, cool. and I have a Walter Payton uh, second year card. I did, I did sell them in my last move. I used to have so many, I sold a lot of them, but I kept, kept a few of my favorites. Yeah, Jesse, you it's been that. so good. Can yes. you tell some people how they can find you um, if they want to sure. book you or just find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. Should I give my home address and my social security number? If they want to find Definitely me social security for me yeah. and bank account. Router <laughs> Credit card number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then no, no. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So the, the best place to start is my website, which is jessejoiner.com. Oh. And, and it's, uh, there's no I in my name. It's J E S S E J O Y N E R jessejoiner.com. Um, some people put an I in my name. That's, that's usually how a female Jesse spells her name. So like a male Jesse's are usually J E S S E. Um, and if you're wondering, we, we have three kids. One, our third is a, is a boy and we named him David. So he's okay. David's son of Jesse. You see what oh, I did there? there you go. You like that? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, very biblical. Um, but jessejoiner.com. And from there, you can link to like, you know, my YouTube channel. Je- it's Jesse Joiner on YouTube. And I've got how to juggle videos and <clears throat> uh, highlight reels from my shows, that kind of stuff. If you're, if anyone's interested. Um, yeah, I hope so they will be the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. I'm, I'm not on TikTok or Snapchat. I can't keep up with all the newest and greatest stuff. It's, uh, you know what? I think it, it's, you know, for jugglers, for me personally, at my age, it's just kind of just find your art and go do it. Well, you know, you don't, you yeah, don't need yeah. You know, you don't need TikTok to make yourself famous. At least not that I'm not interested in that so much. I just want to juggle. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man, I love it. Well, I'm yeah. so thankful, Jesse, for the way you know God has taken this gift that you have and you're using it for the kingdom to tell this bigger story. And like I just I love this is kind of the idea of the podcast is to get a little bit deeper, go you know, have more to the story yeah. behind yeah. what's going on with juggling. So it's it's great for me too, just to connect with you again. I hope we can yeah. do you more too. in the future.